0: What if an alien invasion was already here? What if we had encouraged and cultivated a vast ecosystem of alien life right here on Earth, never thinking that one tiny change could tip the balance in their favor? That is the alien invasion story that makes up John Wyndham's sci-fi novella, Day of the Triffids. The plant-like Triffids have been grown and cultivated all over our planet to help manage the problem of starvation. But when a meteor shower blinds the whole of Britain, the plants take their advantage and begin to attack. That concept at the heart of the book formed the basis of the 1962 film adaptation, Day of the Triffids, but it's only half the story. In fact, the book Day of the Triffids seems to have more in common with Danny Boyle's 2001 hit, 28 Days Later. And that's because the book focuses on how humans are failing to cope not only with this new enemy and the loss of their vision, but with each other. The true horror is not the Triffids, but other people who try to rule, control, and manipulate everyone in a fight for dominance in this new world order. It's as though it's the wild west once again and every section of britain is desperately trying to control their own little patch often with tactics that are abhorrent if not violent in that sense the film and book versions of day of the triffids really only share an idea the slow vegiform alien triffids are on earth and able to attack because the world has gone blind where the book focuses on humanity, the film takes on a classic sci-fi horror direction, showing people fighting for their lives all over Britain and even France, and following several different storylines in this fight of man versus alien. That isn't necessarily a bad thing. Although it's not a direct adaptation of the film, this idea of having it be man versus alien rather than man versus man was incredibly popular in the early 60s when Day of the Triffids was made. Sci-fi films of the 50s had all sorts of interesting and unusual monsters, even vegetative monsters, including, and please do google this if you're interested, something called Carrot Man. So Day of the Triffids was following a trend and an idea when it took John Wyndham's thoughts and focused it more on that sense of invasion. Now personally, I prefer the book because I like this idea that yes, disaster can come directly from without, but more insidious, more horrific, is the enemy within. We trust people every single day. We get into cars with strangers, we have them deliver and make our food sometimes, we have them look after our cats, ourselves, our safety. And what happens when you can't have that trust anymore? This is an obsession of my own if you've read any of my fiction work. I've always been intrigued by the idea that the mind is not a terrible thing to waste, but just a terrible thing. However, If you're somebody who likes a lot more of the straightforward man versus monster, if you're somebody who prefers that classic sci-fi, Day of the Triffids is a fantastic film and it's very well done. Not just because it's used this great idea of Wyndham's, but because it does take it in a little bit more of an interesting direction. Rather than the classic single storyline, instead they show multiple people fighting for their lives. The first is Bill Mason, a naval officer who's managed to escape being blinded because, ironically, he was recovering from eye surgery. His eyes are heavily bandaged during the meteor shower, so the next day he's able to see, although the hospital's in disarray and he's not entirely sure what's happened. And if you're noticing a parallel yet again with 28 Days Later, you're absolutely right. There's even a scene of Bill leaving the hospital and walking through a mostly empty London that's mirrored by the bike messenger Jim walking through the empty London of 28 days later. Boyle's film sees London more devastated and abandoned. In Day of the Triffids, there are the occasional blind survivors milling around. But in both films, the empty city is essentially post-apocalyptic. So much so that in Day of the Triffids, once finding another sighted survivor, a schoolgirl named Susan, Bill and Susan leave London for France. Now the second storyline in the film is centered on two scientists. They're in a lighthouse off the coast of Britain, and they too are able to see, and ultimately their storyline is about a troubled marriage, but it's the knowledge that they have and their ability to finally work together that helps save people because they discover how to kill the aliens. The third storyline in the film meets up with that of Bill and Susan, and this is a school for the blind in France. Bill and Susan accidentally come across the school, who are obviously more equipped to deal with the situation. Of course, they still have the threat of the sudden collapse of society, and the Triffids are at their door, but they're far more prepared for this and have a greater variety of skills which end up ultimately helping Bill and Susan as well. These multiple storylines mean that there are a lot of different angles on what's happening, and you see a lot of different ways of people trying to survive, some better equipped than others. So it gives a real sense of pace and action to the story, where otherwise you're essentially just fighting monsters. Don't get me wrong, that's not a bad thing, but I think it adds a layer of depth. The book, in contrast, does focus on one storyline. In the book, Bill Mason is actually a biologist rather than a naval officer. At first, he stays put in London, and he's in London much longer than the film, so it really is a London horror, because he's trying to navigate this fallen world. In fact, there's a very harrowing scene, which I won't ruin in Senate House, where Bill realizes the dangers of people far outweigh what he's trying to figure out, which is what to do about the Triffids. Mason does, though, leave the city in the book, so the film is being somewhat accurate. He goes down to Sussex and then he meets Susan. They go on to the Isle of Wight. So the book also spreads far beyond London. However, it has far more action and far more danger in London than just this opening scene where Bill is wandering through the city and then decides with Susan to leave. Although the film doesn't have too much happening in London in terms of screen time, it is unquestionably a London horror film. And that's because of this iconic scene. We see Bill waking up at Moorfield's Eye Hospital and it's eerie, things are going wrong. We then see a doctor who he speaks to reveal what's happened and then kill himself. So immediately there's a lot of tension and danger before he even starts walking out through a London that seems almost like ruins. He goes by internationally recognized highlights like Piccadilly Circus and Westminster Bridge, as well as more local but recognizable areas like Lincoln's Inn Fields. And more than that, London is an essential part of the eeriness of these scenes. So it's not just that you're seeing London, it's that London's adding to the sense of unease, fear, a disquiet, which is a word I like here because the scenes are quiet themselves. This is one of the busiest cities in the world, and seeing places like Piccadilly Circus or Westminster effectively abandoned is uncanny. It's nearly impossible to get these kinds of moments in a city this large. For anyone who saw London during COVID, you saw that same haunting energy for yourself. A city without its people is like a skeleton. It is haunted by all those people who aren't there. You just know something is fundamentally wrong. The scene sets up the film as a creeping horror, which unfortunately later falls into the more traditional alien versus man plotline. So it does feel a bit disjointed with London setting up a more sinister film and the rest of it being very straightforward. But ultimately the film stands out amongst the huge range of sci-fi horrors at the time because of that scene. There's something uncanny about the emptiness that really resonates and heightens where you are before the real sort of attacks happen. And this idea is so powerful and so resonant still that, of course, as I said, Danny Boyle was able to use it in 2001. And it stunned audiences even though we'd seen it before, both here and in the 1950s film Seven Days to Noon. The actual visuals of empty London weren't new, but they're still powerful, and I think that in and of itself is pretty spectacular to look at. Because if we've seen any other city as empty, does it have the same effect? I don't think so. And I think that's because London's very sprawling. An empty New York City is still somewhat claustrophobic. There's lots of tall buildings bearing down on you, the streets are narrower, it seems intense. London's sort of laid out much more broadly, built more broadly. The roads are less regular. There's something about the city that gives it a visual punch. It's almost like a city desert. And I think that makes this otherwise average horror film, Dan Triffids is perfectly good, a horror classic. Now that said, Day of the Triffids does hold its own water as a horror sci-fi film of the time. It's just a bit samey as everything else. You get a lot of the classic scenes you might expect of, you know, creeping slow Triffids coming up on you. Eventually they start to hunt in packs and so you have large groups pushing against fences, against doors, breaking through windows. You get those good classic screams but nothing sort of as new or as visually surprising and as engaging as that London scene. And I think a good example of how sort of otherwise, let's say normal or expected the film is, is that they needed those four storylines. You can't just follow Bill, just follow the scientists, just follow the blind school, because there isn't enough of a story there once you've taken out this idea that the people are just as bad as the aliens. And that is the real sort of magic of this story is that they knew as a film how to adapt it being very different from the book and remember what makes a good film, which is keeping you active, engaged, and alive. It's easier to do this subtle, creeping psychological horror in books because you're inside the minds of people. But when you're making a film, so much of it is visual and external. And so you need action. And there's only so many times you can set triffids against one person. So you need to change up the scenes, change up the people, change up the dynamics of the group to see how they would fight the aliens. And that's what keeps it sort of alive and exciting. And I think that that shows how, in contrast, really amazing that London scene is because you just have Bill and Susan walking silently through the city and it still captivates you. Of course you can't make a whole movie out of that, but the idea that you can have several minutes of essentially the same thing happening, walking through a quiet city, be so dynamic, so terrifying, so hard in your throat, I have to see what happens next, that it's more powerful and strangely more engaging than some of the later scenes where you have a giant group of alien triffids trying to break into a farm by leaning their weight against a fence. It's tense but it's not, as tense, and that's why you keep needing these new and interesting ways that the aliens are attacking and these new and interesting characters to add energy to the film. All of that said, the film is very good. And I think the book is very good. And they're different enough that if you did like the film, you might like the book. If you liked the book, you might like the film. But there's no real way to tell. So I'd say go for both because they're very different styles of horror story. You know what you love in horror. So pick the one you think you love most. But equally, there's enough there in both the film and the book, I think, to entertain anyone. I always like to end with my favorite moment. And honestly, my favorite moment is that walk through London. I hope you could tell with my talking about it, it really is exciting, scary, and, and that uncommonly used word, sort of freaky, something about it sets you off. There are some good monster fights in this film for people who like that. At one point, Bill gets out a flamethrower and attacks a horde of a thousand triffids, so you get some spectacular visuals and special effects. But I'm one for the eerie horror. I like tension and uncertainty. And so that walk through London really hits me. In particular, there's one aspect of the scene. So Bill and Susan are walking through Lincoln's Inn Field. For anyone unfamiliar, it's an area that's a square sort of near the Royal Courts of Justice, and to the right is a very beautiful brick building that if you've ever seen Limehouse Golem, uh, plays Scotland Yard. And it's as Bill and Susan are walking through this and the little square in the middle, we hear a dog barking in the background, and we see him barking at a triffid in the park. Bill's been keeping from Susan what's happening with these monsters to try and keep her calm. So he just steers her away from it, and they walk, actually not terribly far away, but walk by quickly and quietly and steadily. And as they do, the dog stops barking. And you know, I know, the person watching knows, and Bill knows what's happened, and the girl doesn't. And I think that's a really clever use of sound, of the scene. It's a subtle chill that always gets to me. Because the real horror that's happened just happened in your head. And I love it when a horror movie can do that. And on that note, I think it's the perfect moment to say, if I've intrigued you, go out, see the film. But also have a think about the book if you've never seen it and about 28 days later, and how it relates to this really interesting 60s sort of underdog of a film. This is a film that really has lasted in horror. It's got visuals we remember, it has a clever idea, it's been remade to TV. There is definitely something about Triffids that lasts in horror, and it's been great fun talking with you about it today. I want to wind up, of course, by thanking Cookerbet who have provided the sound for the intro and outro. And thank you for listening to the London Horror Movie Club.